We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 3, verse 10, and chapter 4 today. Uh, Today is our last week in the book of Jonah. I hope you've enjoyed Jonah. Uh, had somebody coming through the line last week uh, that mentioned to me that uh, as we've been walking through Jonah, Jonah is like a mirror because it shows us so much of ourselves, it shows us so many things about us, and it shows us the ways in which we're tempted to run from God like Jonah did, the ways in which we have been living our lives in rebellion against God in his ways like the Ninevites. And it shows us that we can turn to God just like they did. And so today's going to be our last week in the book of Jonah. Next week we're going to jump into the gospel of Luke, and that'll take us uh, in and through Christmas time, and we'll be walking through the gospel of Luke uh, probably over the next year quite a bit. We'll break that up with some smaller series here and there, but we're going to be spending a lot of time in the gospel of Luke looking at the life and ministry of Jesus according to Dr. Luke. So I'm excited for that, and I hope you'll join us next week for that and be ready for that as we head into the holiday and Advent season, so as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ. So turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah, as we've said, is a book about running from God and the God who runs after us. So last week we looked at how God has graciously and mercifully pursued both Jonah and the Ninevites. So pursuing Jonah, this religious man who was supposed to know God and walk with God and yet spent most of his time in the book of Jonah being the one that's running away from God, trying to get as far from God's will as he possibly can. He boards a ship and he goes as far as he knows is possible away from where God has told him to go in the other direction. And so we've talked about how even us who claim to know God, sometimes we struggle with running from God's will in our lives. And we've talked about how God graciously pursues Jonah with his word, confronting Jonah, calling Jonah back to himself, back to what his mission is. And then we've also talked about how Ninevites, they they have been living their lives in rebellion against God, living in all sorts of sinful, evil, violent ways, and disregarding life and God entirely. And yet, this gracious and merciful God does not give them what they deserve, but instead gives them what they do not deserve, and an opportunity to turn to him in humble, repentant faith. And so last week, we saw that this God is a God of second chances, and third, and fourth, and fifth, and 999th chances. He's patient with us, desiring that we would turn back to him. And so as we've walked throughout Jonah, the, the main character besides God, because God is the main character of the scriptures, he's the main character of every book of the Bible, but this book is about this angry prophet of his who deals with depression and anger on a regular basis, and he's been running from God in this angry rebellion, and today what we're going to see is finally Jonah's going to tell us why he's so angry all the time. 
And I think what we'll see as we look at why Jonah is so angry is we'll see some things about why we get so angry too. And I pray that the Lord will use our time together to expose some things in us with his gracious, loving care through his word that we might turn to him instead of running from him, that we might be like the Ninevites, walking in repentant faith, and that we might learn from Jonah as he deals with and wrestles with anger over where God has him in life and what God is doing. So let's look at Jonah, starting in chapter 3, verse 10, and we'll read down in this first section through verse 4. Here's what the book of Jonah says. The Ninevites have just repented, and it says in in verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I had said when I was yet in my country? That, That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Would you pray with me for just a moment? God, we, we need you to speak to us because so often in life we are just like Jonah. We have run from you. We are displeased at what you're doing. We're displeased at your will for our lives and we are, are exceedingly displeased and angry and, and we wrestle with where you have us in life and what you're doing. And so God, we ask for your help now. God, I ask that you would speak through your word to your people, that you would help us to not be angry and rebellion against you, but to humbly turn towards you, that you might give us understanding of your will for us, that you might speak to us through your word today, that we might know and share your great mercy, grace, and steadfast love. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. I want you to notice a few words here in chapter 3, verse 10, and then in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. So notice that word evil there in verse 10. And then also notice what it says next. God relented of the disaster. So evil and disaster, I want you to keep those in mind, that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And then in chapter 4, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So that word displeased in the start of chapter 4. So evil, disaster, and displeased there. In the original language, in the Hebrew, they're all the same word. They all mean evil. And so what, what is happening here in Jonah is the Ninevites have turned from their evil ways, so God did not do evil to them in judgment, and this was evil in Jonah's eyes. And so Jonah is essentially here, that first phrase in chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. If you look at the footnote of your ESV there in your pew Bible, it says in the Hebrew, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. And so essentially what Jonah is getting at here, Jonah is saying, I think God has done evil. I think God has done something wrong here. Jonah thinks that God has reacted wrongly and in an evil way to the evil that the Ninevites have done and that they've turned from it. 
See, Jonah is accusing God of evil because when, when we get angry, we believe something wrong has been done. And so Jonah, he believes that God has actually done wrong, that God has done evil, that he's seen this wicked people repent, and, and that he has relented from doing evil to them that they deserved. And so Jonah thinks that's evil itself. And so Jonah actually thinks that God is now the one who has done something wrong or evil. And you and I, too, when we get angry, we believe that some wrong has occurred, Anger is the stuff of unmet expectations. And so when we get angry, we get angry because we believe that there's some sense of what justice looks like, and justice has not been done according to our eyes, according to the way we see the world, according to the way we understand things and the way that they should play out and happen. And so when they don't happen that way, we, like Jonah, we begin to get angry and we begin to believe that something wrong has occurred, whether or not we're seeing things clearly. And so Jonah, he actually accuses the God who is always good, right, and true of doing evil because he believes some wrong has been done. And so when we get angry, we believe that something wrong has been done. And then also we get angry when things don't go according to our plan. So look at what it says next in verse 2. Jonah says, And, I, and he prayed to the Lord and, and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. How dare you, God? Right? Jonah just listed all of the things that you and I would typically celebrate about God, that he is gracious and merciful, that he's steadfast or faithful in his love for us, that he relents from doing disaster, that he's patient with us and gracious towards us, that he's loving and kind. And Jonah sees these things about God in this moment, and he's angry about it. And the reason he's angry is because things are not going according to Jonah's plan. Things are not going according to how Jonah thinks justice should be done, how things should be happening according to Jonah. And so Jonah sees these incredible things about God almost as his enemy, He sees these incredible attributes of our gracious, merciful, loving God. And instead of rejoicing in them, he's angry about it. Because God's not doing what Jonah expected. Because God's not doing what Jonah wanted to see happen. Jonah thought, this is a violent, wicked people, the Ninevites. They were brutal and gruesome, and they destroyed life wherever you looked. And Jonah thinks that they ought to inherit evil for their evil, an eye for an eye. And when this doesn't happen, when Jonah's plan doesn't play out, he gets angry because things are not going according to his plan. He says, he says see, God, I, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. I told you that they would turn. This is exactly why I didn't want to come here and preach to them, because I know you're this way. I know you're merciful and gracious and kind and loving, and I knew that they would turn to you. And so I didn't want to preach at all. He says, see, God, I, I told you so. 
makes me think about when I was a kid, uh, my, my family would always go to the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri for a week, and, and we would spend quite a bit of time out on the water, you know, boating and riding wave runners and stuff and sea dews or, what do you guys call sea dews? Is it sea dew or jet ski here in Kentucky? Jet ski, all right, so jet ski it is. So we were at, I was out on the jet ski with my cousin and my dad one day, and, and my dad, was always kind of a, a thrill seeker growing up. Like he, he loved to have fun, and and I was I was a much more cautious child than he was when he grew up. And so when I'm on the jet ski, I'm thinking the goal is to stay on the jet ski. Well, my dad had an entirely different goal. His goal was to not stay on the jet ski. Okay, so he liked to do donuts and things, and that just made my anxiety skyrocket. And so I'm on the jet ski with my dad and my cousin, and he's doing donuts, and, and he's taking sharp turns, and he just keeps turning. And of course, we've got three, three guys' weight on there, and it's all leaning in one direction. And I keep saying, Dad, we're going to tip. Dad, we're going to tip. Dad, we're going to tip. So I keep warning him, and he doesn't listen. And he keeps going. And so sure enough, not much longer, we're in the water. We've, we've fallen off, and I come back up, and I'm hot. I am so angry because I told him this was going to happen. I said, Dad, I told you so. I warned you this would happen, and I was so angry because what I had planned for and what I wanted to see happen did not occur. But you know what I didn't realize? I didn't realize that my dad actually knows better than I do that he knew some things about me that I needed to learn to let go a little bit. I needed to lighten up and and learn how to enjoy where I was with him. You see, Jonah and, and we, we need to learn this lesson too. Because Jonah, where he's at, is things are not playing out how he wants them to go. And he looks at God and he says, I told you so, God, I warned you this would happen. And what we need to realize in those moments where we look at God and we say, I told you so, this was exactly what I was worried about, is we need to realize that we can't possibly know that our plans are actually better than his plans. We can't possibly know all of the things that God wants to do through what he's doing right now. And so to arrogantly assume that our plan was better than his plan is exactly that. It's arrogant. And it will leave us sitting in and dwelling in anger because things in life do not go our way. They go God's way. You see, when things don't go according to my plan or your plan and they go according to God's plan, we tend to get upset about that. We tend to get angry like Jonah does. And the question we have to ask ourselves is... Are, are, are we going to sit in our anger like Jonah does, or will we be humble enough to learn from the Lord when things go his way rather than ours? So, you know, just in life, will you be angry or humble when your unbelieving coworker gets the promotion you believe you deserved? Will you see that maybe God is up to something bigger than what you can see? And will you trust him or will you respond by sitting in anger saying, I deserve this. This is what should have happened. And will you dwell in that and let that consume you? Will you be angry or humble when your unbelieving friend is blessed with a spouse or children and you're not? 
Will you be angry or humble when unbelievers are are blessed with good health and you and your loved ones are struggling and in and out of the hospital regularly? Or much like Jonah, will, will you be angry or humble when God saves somebody that you believe deserved judgment? I was at a church in California one time, and the pastor told this incredible story about this little Ugandan boy that he was essentially rescued from, from a witch doctor in Uganda. This witch doctor had, had brutally mutilated his body and left him for dead in the bushes as a part of a ceremony where he was trying to get some spirits to do something. And this was fairly common in Uganda. And, and he le- leaves this boy for dead. And, and this, this, this missionary and, and this doctor somehow get connected with the boy from the States and to Uganda. And, and they fly the boy to the States where this incredible surgeon has agreed to put him back together for free. And he saves the boy's life. And, and, and the boy is able to actually live and then ends up meeting Jesus and getting saved and, and walking with Christ. And the pastor's telling this story. And, and, and everyone's crying. You know, because this, this little boy has been saved, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And he is walking with Jesus. And we've seen God do an incredible thing. Well, then the pastor, he travels to Uganda on another mission trip, and when he gets there, he gets notified that the witch doctor was actually imprisoned, and he was arrested, he was in jail, which was incredibly rare, because everyone was afraid of witch doctors. And so he's in jail, and, 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 and he's rejoicing at this. He's like, thank you, Jesus, like justice is being done. He's in jail where he belongs, and this boy is living his life free and well. But that's not all that they let him know. They let him know that the witch doctor actually wanted to talk to him. So the pastor goes almost reluctantly and visits this man in his jail cell. And when he gets there, the witch doctor looks at him and says, how do I walk with Jesus? Because I've been reading this book and I realize that I've done great evil. And I want to turn to Jesus like you have. And I want to have forgiveness. And I want to walk with Christ. And this pastor is really wrestling with this because he's been walking with this little boy and has seen what this man has done to him. And yet now he's sitting in front of the man who abused him and mutilated him. And this man is turning to Christ And he's going back and forth between anger and incredible awe at God's mercy. And sometimes you and I, we do that. Because we see great evil done in this world. Maybe we're not in Nineveh where this kind of violence is happening all the time or in Uganda. But we see great evil done. And and sometimes what we really want is for God to just pour out his wrath. For God to judge and bring justice. And then when God brings mercy and grace instead, we're tempted, like Jonah, to be angry about it. 
When, when God saves somebody that, that we don't think deserves to be saved, we, we tend to get angry like Jonah does. But you see, here's what we often struggle with along with Jonah, is what Jonah doesn't understand and what we struggle to understand sometimes as well is that that same grace, mercy, and steadfast love that Jonah is complaining to God about is the same grace, mercy, and steadfast love that makes it possible for us to be here right now. That makes it possible for us to continue moving, living, and breathing. That makes it possible for us to have a relationship with this God of grace. You see, we don't want God's grace to go to other people. But we think we deserve it. Which means we've misunderstood grace the entire time. Because grace is always undeserved. It's unmerited. There's nothing you can do to earn grace. Just because you're better than your neighbor doesn't mean you're more deserving of God's love, kindness, mercy, and grace towards you. Just because Jonah is better than the Ninevites when he's comparing his actions to theirs does not mean that Jonah is more deserving of this God's grace and kindness. You see, the The scriptures, they say this about us. They say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And are justified by his grace, listen to this, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You don't earn a relationship with God. It's a complete gift. It's something you could never earn. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's God giving you what you do not deserve and withholding what you do deserve in his mercy. So the question we ask, friends, is not, are you better than your neighbor? It's not, are you better than a rapist or a murderer? It's not, are you better than a witch doctor or a child predator? It's not, are you better than the Ninevites? And it's not, are you better than Jonah? The question that we have to ask ourselves, friends, is do you fall short of the glory of God? And the answer for all of us is yes. That's what Paul just said, right, in Romans 3. We all fall short of God's glory because we all sin against him, and we are all just as much in need of God's mercy, grace, and steadfast love as the Ninevites were and as Jonah is. We're all in the same boat, Because the question is, is not when you get out some tally marks and you say, okay, well, I've got this many good works and they only have this many and my evil works are only only a couple and they've got a thousand. That's not how this works. That's not even justice. We think it is because we're misguided and sinful. The question is, do you fall short of God's glory? Do you fall short of who God is? That's the problem of humanity, is we have all sinned against God and fallen short of his glory. We do not measure up. And Jonah and we are tempted to think that we do when we see great evil done around us. And so we get angry. But we must realize, like the Ninevites did in chapter 3, that we need to turn to God in humble, repentant faith. 
We need to sit in ashes like they did. We need to put on sackcloth. We need to, in all of these ways, be repentant. We need to demonstrate that we understand that we do not deserve what God has offered to us. You see, we get angry when we believe wrong has been done. We get angry when things do not go our way. And we get, when we get angry, we can also be tempted to think that life is no longer worth living. Look at verse 3. Look at, look at what the prophet does. So Jonah believes great wrong has been done. He, things are not going his way. And so he says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah, he's gotten to such a spot in life where he's even suicidal. He's so angry at God and where God has him in life and what God is doing that he doesn't want to live anymore. And the, the thing about suicidal thoughts is they're incredibly difficult and way too common. You see... It, especially in our culture that constantly tells us that we can have everything that we want and that life should go smoothly for us. And then it often disappoints because the true story is that things have been wrong for a long time since Genesis 3. And things most of the time don't go according to your plan and things oftentimes are done that are wrong. And so Jonah, he's in the spot where he's seen evil done and things are not going how he thinks they should be going in life and he gets so angry that he's suicidal that he doesn't want to live anymore. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there now. Maybe you're really struggling with where God has you in life and how life is going. And, and if, if that's you, then I want you to hear what Paul has to say about temptations and trials in life and know that you're not alone. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, meaning other people are wrestling with these things too. They're struggling through this difficult, broken, evil world. And it says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted or, or, or tried, you could read that, beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to, listen to this, endure it. You see, the good news of, of the gospel and of what God's word has to teach us about walking through trials and suffering and in a broken Genesis 3 world is not that when you trust in Jesus, everything just works out for you. And everything gets better. What offers us incredible hope is that God is faithful in the midst of the struggle. That God is present with us and leading us through it like the, the shepherd of Psalm 23 because he is that shepherd who leads us through the valley of darkness. You see, you're not alone and, and, and we're here to help. If you're struggling with this, reach out to a pastor or a friend next to you because you're not alone. We all deal with various kinds of temptations and trials in life, and our God is faithful to be present in them and to enable us, empower us to endure it. 
Those words, God is faithful and, and provides the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it, bear up under it as you walk with Jesus. Those are such hope-giving words. You see, there's a variety of different kinds of motivations and beliefs that under, underlie this kind of thinking that leads somebody to not want to live anymore. And, and one person may be wrestling with these kinds of thoughts for an entirely different reason than someone else. But Jonah here, he's wrestling with a particular motivation and pattern of thinking. He's, Jonah's motivations and thinking here involve an anger that's rooted in discontentment and a belief that he knows better than God what's best for him. You see, Jonah is so angry that he doesn't want to live anymore because he believes there's been wrong done. He believes that things should be going his way and they're not. And, and he's discontent with where God has him in life and what God is doing. You see, th- this belief that we have that, that we know better than God does what's best for our life is the same belief that human beings have been struggling with from the beginning. In Genesis 3, the reason that Adam and Eve reach out and take hold of the fruit is because they believe in that moment that they know better than God does what is best for them. And you see, we have this same belief that leads us to struggle with anger and depression and all kinds of things in life because we honestly believe that we know better than God does what's best for us. And so we get angry like Jonah does. And Jonah is in this place of anger, and this God so graciously confronts him. And he does so with us as well. Look at what God says. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And so, so God's saying, are, are you right to be angry? Jonah, when, when, when you look at things as they actually are, are you actually right to be angry? Are you seeing things clearly? You see, God's going to ask this question to Jonah more than once in the passage, and it's a question that we need to be asking ourselves as well. Are you right to be angry? So how do we answer it? How do we know? How do we answer the question, am I right to be angry? Well, I want to give you a few questions that can help you tell that here in just a minute. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. He's quoting a psalm in the Old Testament that also says this. He says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know what that means? That means that not all anger is sinful. Paul's saying, be angry, but be angry in a way that is not sinful, in a way that is godly instead. Learn to express anger as a proper emotion in response to genuine evil that's been done. And so you say, well, isn't that kind of where Jonah's at? He's seen real evil being done, and he's angry about it. Well, look at these questions with me, and we'll kind of walk through where Jonah's at and how we tell if our anger is righteous, if it's right to be angry. The first thing that we need to ask when we're angry is, are you angry at actual sin? And not sin as you would define it, but sin as the Bible defines it. 
Are you angry about something that is actually against God's revealed will for us? Are you angry that sin has been done not just against you, but against the God who made us? Are you angry about actual sin? That's the first thing we have to ask. When we think about Jonah, his anger towards the Ninevites, he's angry about their violence and their murder and the ways they have devalued life and disregarded God himself. And so in that sense, Jonah is actually angry about actual sin. But then he's also angry about what God does, which is not sinful. And so even in in the first question, Jonah is, is missing the boat with at least part of his anger. And so you see, sometimes because we struggle with sin in life and our hearts have mixed motivations, our anger can be that way as well. We can be angry about something that was was right to be angry about while also being angry about something that we have no right to be angry about as well. It's, we're not this simple, we're more complex than that. But the first question we ask is, are you angry about actual sin as Scripture defines it? Next we have to ask, are, are you angry about God's concerns or yours? And so we have to ask, is Jonah angry about God's will not being done or about his will not being done? And the obvious answer of the book of Jonah is that Jonah is concerned about himself and the way that he thinks she, things should go instead of the way that God wants things to go. And you and I as well, we struggle with this. Even, even sometimes when we're angry at actual sin, our concern is more about us than it is about God. When we get angry, we are more angry about things not playing out the way that we want them to than we are concerned about God and his will and his kingdom. We're more concerned with ours. We get angry because my will isn't done. We get angry because my kingdom isn't being built and established instead of being angry that God's will has not been done and that God's kingdom is not being established. You see, so we ask, are you angry about actual sin and are you angry about God's concerns or yours? And then finally we ask, okay, let's say we can say, yes, we're angry about actual sin and we're actually angry about God's concerns not centered on our own. Then we ask, are are you expressing that anger in a godly way? Is the way that you're demonstrating and reflecting your anger, is your anger consistent with the Christ-like qualities that we see in Jesus and also with the commands of Scripture? So are you expressing the anger you feel in a godly way that Jesus would say, yeah, that's a right response. You see, Jonah misses the boat on all three of these. He's not just angry about actual sin. He's angry about what God wants to do. He's not angry because of what God's concerns are. He's angry because of his own concerns, and things are not playing out the way he wants them to. And then he's expressing his anger in a godly way by saying, God, just take my life from me. He wants to destroy the life that God has given him out of his anger. He wants to take a life in response to God sparing life. You see, Jonah's anger is not righteous, and oftentimes ours is not as well. So when we ask this question, are you right to be angry, often the answer is no. 
And we move on to verse 5, and we see that when we're angry, we often desire the downfall of others, just like Jonah does. So it says in verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what became of the city. And so Jonah, he's still hoping God's going to judge them. He goes outside the city to make sure he's not present when it happens, and he's still hoping God's going to bring fire from heaven and judge the Ninevites, and he's going to sit there and watch. I mean, how wicked is that? He wants this to happen, and he wants to see it go down. It's almost like Jonah is like setting up like he's about to tailgate for a big game. You know, he, he builds the structure for himself to get him a little bit of shade, and, and he's just going to kind of chill out and wait for it to happen. How wicked is that? that? That Jonah would so badly want the destruction of these people's lives that he, in his anger, would set up a structure so that he can watch it take place. You see, we often struggle with a similar kind of anger. You see, in our anger, we want the destruction of others. This is why Jesus, he, he puts murderers and angry people in the same category. So in Matthew 5, Jesus says this. He says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, anger wants the destruction of someone else's life, whether physical or otherwise. And so you might be saying, well, well, I've never planned to murder someone, so my anger is really not that bad. Like, I'm not a murderer. So, so maybe you haven't planned to murder somebody, but how often have you hoped that they would lose their job or their reputation in your anger? Maybe you haven't planned to murder someone, but how often have you tried to destroy them emotionally with your words or actions? When you're fighting with your spouse, how often have you, in your anger, decided that you're going to tear that person down because of the wrong they've done against you? You see, just because you're not taking a physical life doesn't mean that you don't want the destruction of a life when you're angry. We oftentimes, like Jonah, are so angry at the perceived wrongs that we see that we want the destruction of someone else who's done it in a myriad of ways. We may want them to lose their job or reputation. We, want to, we may want them to feel the pain that we feel. You see, we have sinful anger and we want the destruction of life as well. We're no better than Jonah is. And we see that when we're angry, it often involves discontentment and entitlement, just like it does for Jonah in verses 6 through 10. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So God is, is incredibly gracious here. Even as Jonah is sinfully angry, he is merciful and gracious to Jonah, and he actually causes this plant to grow up so that Jonah might be saved from his discomfort. So God's still concerned with saving rebellious runaway Jonah. So he makes this plant come up in verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. I'm just imagining myself outside in the summer and when I don't have sunscreen on, and my hair's kind of thinning. And so, you know, my head just starts to hurt because you can't really put the sunscreen in the hair. But, you know, anyways, Jonah is outside, and, and God withdraws the shade, and he begins to get sunburned. Like, like the sun is beating down on Jonah, and, and Jonah is beginning to feel discomfort and pain again. And so Jonah responds just like he has. And it says, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Again, that belief that he knows better than God what's best for him. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? So there's God asking that question again. Are you right to be angry? We need to ask ourselves this question. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I don't know about you, but if God is like, God's having a conversation with me and he's directly asking me a question, I'm probably not as audacious as Jonah to say, yeah, I'm angry enough that, and I, I'm right to be so, and I'm angry enough to die. Jonah is, is bombastic in his anger. He is confident in his perception of the world, and, and he looks at God and he says, no, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And so Jonah, his anger here involves discontentment and entitlement. Notice that Jonah is exceedingly glad when God does what he wants him to do, as opposed to earlier when he was exceedingly displeased when God didn't do what he wanted him to do. You see, our emotions oftentimes, they fluctuate with whether or not God is doing what we want him to do. We're angry or sad when he doesn't, and then we're happy and content when he does. Just like Jonah. And, and, and notice that the second God does what Jonah does not want again, Jonah is again displeased, angry, and wanting to die again. And so God, he, he makes this shade come up over Jonah from the plant that, that he brought and that he gave. And then when he withdraws it, immediately Jonah is angry again. So his happiness didn't last long. And I would say his happiness doesn't last long because what he believes about God, what he believes about himself, and what he believes about his world. He believes he knows better than God. He believes that God is not doing what is right. And he believes that his circumstances are junk. And so he's immediately displeased again and his happiness is fleeting. And you and I, when we continue to see life through this grid, will be the same way. You see, God is the one who had sovereignly provided these blessings for Jonah. And he has every right to withtract them. Jonah didn't do anything to, to earn the shade. He didn't do anything to grow it, grow the plant. He did nothing. And God was just gracious to give him some shade. Because God, God is God. God can do what he wants. Because everything belongs to God, not to us. The plant doesn't belong to, to Jonah. Nothing in our lives belongs to us. It all belongs to the God who made us. You see, but Jonah's problem is he, he's finding his contentment in circumstances. And, and he believes that life is only worth living if God does what he wants him to do. And if we believe this, if we approach life like this, we will always be unhappy. 
You see, we must find our gladness in doing what God wants us to do, not in God doing what we want him to do. You'll, you'll never be truly happy until you're happy in Jesus and his will for you. You'll never be truly content until you're content in God's plans for your life rather than your plans for your life. Only then can we learn to say with Paul, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know that beautiful verse that we quote all the time? It's, it's meant to teach us something about how we walk through trials and suffering. That we rely on Jesus and we find our contentment and our happiness in Jesus rather than our circumstances like Paul does. Because as long as your happiness is contingent on life going the way that you want it to go rather than the way God wants you to live, you'll never be content. God wants you to live your life depending on Christ for your strength, joy, and hope, not your circumstances. Because discontentment happens when we place our hope in circumstances, and contentment happens when we place our hope in the God who's sovereign over them. You see, we have to believe that God is sovereign and good, and only then, when we rest in his will and his plans for our lives, will we find contentment and a way out from underneath the crushing weight of anger and discontentment. You see, when we get angry, we also miss God's heart for all peoples. Look at the last verse there. And should I not pity Nineveh, God says, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And so God, he's contrasting the value of the Ninevites who are people who will live for eternity somewhere with this plant that Jonah is displeased about and angry about that rose up in one day and was gone the next. He's saying, Jonah, you're, you're missing it, man. There's over 120,000 people who will spend eternity somewhere, and you're concerned about your poor circumstances. You're missing it. And friends, so are we. We are so concerned with life not going the way we want it to go that we miss the fact that hundreds of thousands and millions of people around us and all over the world are going to spend an eternity separated from God because we're more concerned with us than we are with God and them. You see, and, and if we want to break our way out of discontentment, depression, anger, unhappiness in life and find true lasting joy, then we've got to stop making us our primary concern. That's what God's saying to Jonah here. You're, you're missing it, man. You're, you're missing the fact that I'm concerned with these 120,000 people while you're concerned about a plant that died after one day. And he says, these people, they don't know their right hand from their left. They are desperately in need of someone to show them the way. And then he says, and, and also, what about the cows? And you should giggle a little bit there because, because it's, it's, it's a sarcastic jab at Jonah and us. 
the person who's writing this, whether it be Jonah or someone else, they're, they're trying to get us to see that our concerns are really out of whack because even cows are more valuable than this plant and our circumstances and our discontentment about the way things are going. God's trying to get us to see how ridiculous it is that we're devastated over things that we ought not to be devastated by and not happy about the things that God is happy about. You see, we, we need a heart realignment. Just like when your car, it starts veering left or right, and you need to get your wheels realigned so that you go in the right direction. We need to hear the message of the book of Jonah and realign our hearts with God's so that we are concerned about what he's concerned about and not focused on ourselves. Because what anger reveals is that we love ourselves much more than we love God and other people. And so the book, it concludes with this question. And it's not just a question for nobody. It's a question for us. It ends on a question because whether Jonah wrote it or Jonah told his story to somebody else, they wanted to end it with this question so that we would ask it. It ends with questions like, are, are you right to be angry? Do you know God's mercy and grace? Do you really understand it? Because if you understand it, then you will, like God is concerned, be concerned for the lost and take the knowledge of his mercy and grace to the nations and those who have not yet heard. This is what Jonah wants us to realize. Because there's a Savior who has come, and he's made a way for us to know God and spend eternity with him forever. But if we don't preach this message then no one hears it. So the question, friends, is not just, are you right to be angry? Most of the time, the answer to that is no. But the question is, what are you going to do with what God has asked of you? He's asked us to go to the nations with this message of hope and healing, this message of grace and mercy. So the question of Jonah for you is will you go let's pray God we are those who have run from you we are those who have lived lives in rebellion against you we, we are those who struggle to understand your grace on a daily basis and so God we need you desperately right now God, would you show us the nature of your grace and your mercy, and would you help us to actually understand it so that we are driven out in love for you and love for people from this place to let the nations know this good news. God, that we wouldn't be like Jonah and sit and dwell in our anger, but that we would be driven forward by your steadfast love that we would rejoice in the life we have in Jesus and that we would share the knowledge of him everywhere we go. So God help us. In Christ's name we pray.